talking about Joseph, and um, the point we're at is Joseph and his brethren, and we began talking last time on uh, this mystery phase when he's keeping himself hidden, chapter 41 all the way to chapter number 44. We looked last week at Joseph's brethren, how they were burdened, and they came to Egypt, and Moses, of course, kept, I'm sorry, for Moses, uh, Joseph kept Simeon and um, sent them back and said they could only come back if they brought Benjamin with them. And um, I'm not so sure that Jacob was all for that. And um, that's kind of where we left off. We're in chapter number 42 and verse number 35. And um, let's read verse 35, and we'll go a little bit into chapter number 43, and then we'll see how far we get tonight, but in Genesis chapter 42, verse number 35, it says, And it came to pass, as they emptied their sacks, that, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said unto them, Me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, Simeon is not, you will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. And Reuben spake unto his father, saying, Slay my two sons, if I bring him not to thee. Deliver him into my hand, and I will bring him to thee again. And he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way in the which you go, then shall ye bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. And the famine was sore in the land. It came to pass, when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt, their father said unto them, Go again, buy us a little food. And Judah spake unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. If thou will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said unto us, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. And Israel said, Wherefore dealt ye so ill with me as to tell the man whether ye had yet a brother? And they said, The man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have ye another brother? We told him according to the tenor of these words, Could we certainly know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said unto Israel, his father, send the lad with me. We will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and thou and also our little ones. And I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. For except we had lingered, surely now we had returned the second time. And their father Israel said unto them, it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits in the land in your vessels. And carry down the manna present, a little balm, a little honey, spices and myrrh and nuts and almonds. And take double money in your hand. And the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks, carry it again in your hand for adventure. It was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise, go again unto the man. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. 
Let's pray. God, I love you, and I thank you, God, for the word of God tonight. Help us as we study it. Lord, I do pray that we would see the lessons that you would have for each of us, and we all have different needs. May we find from your word tonight exactly what each of us need. I pray the Holy Spirit would have free reign, and that he would teach us, and help us, and instruct us. Father, I just pray that, Lord, uh, again, be with all of our prayer requests. I pray that, Lord, you just, uh, again, be with the request of my heart. God, you just please meet those. And, Lord, we love you. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's look at this starting in chapter number 42 and verse number 35. We saw Joseph's brethren are burdened last week. But I want to start here in chapter 42, verse 35, and we'll go pretty much all of chapter 43 with Joseph's brethren are bewildered. Joseph's brethren are bewildered. Um, The brothers go home, but they go home without Simeon. They tell Jacob, their father, everything that had happened. I believe Jacob was figuring things out. And they left it off with, Dad, if we go back, Benjamin has to go with us. If we want any more food, the only way we're going to see this man's face is if Benjamin goes with us. I want you to see there, starting in verse number 35 down to verse number 38, we see Jacob's plight. Jacob's plight. The first thing we see is a visual in verse number 35. It says, It came to pass as they emptied their sacks, that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. The visual was one of fear. They saw the money. Again, Joseph had sent back the money, and they told their dad about it, how when they stopped at the the inn that they found the money, but now they empty uh, the food and the the sacks that they had, and out comes the money, just as they said. And when the boys and Jacob saw it, the Bible says they were all afraid. They saw the money, and there was fear. The visual, and then you see the victim. In verse 36, Jacob their father said unto them, Me... Have ye bereaved of my children? I think you can see here, clearly, Jacob's putting the blame. No longer, I don't think that Jacob's thinking some animal just did this and by a complete accident. Me, have ye bereaved of my children? He's blaming the boys. Joseph is not... Simeon is not. Will you take Benjamin away? He said, you have bereaved me of my children. Blame is being thrown here for Joseph, for Simeon. And Jacob's saying, you're not taking Benjamin. It's interesting what he says at the end of verse number 36. He said, all these things are against me. We saw a visual which brought fear in her life, and we see a victim, and that's the father. And again, I'm not saying that he was a victim. He has taken this victim mentality upon himself. He has taken this mentality of, you have bereaved me of all of my children. All these things are against me. He takes this mentality that the whole world's against him. His his sons are against him. 
His family's against him. The, the, the weather is against him. There's a famine. The lack of food. This strange mystery man in Egypt. Everything's against him, he says. I mean, real quick, God doesn't want his children to play the victim card all their life. To go around thinking that everything's always against them and that and nothing ever goes right for them. Uh, I, you know, uh, call it the victim mentality. I like calling it the Jonah mentality. As Jonah played the victim card. I mean, you see it. Remember when he gets on the boat and he's trying to get away from the will of God? And uh, remember the storm comes and uh, all those men on that boat are doing everything they can, right, to save the boat. Finally, one of them says, this is not normal. What is going on? And Jonah spoke up, remember? He said, it's the Lord. It's me. It's me. I'm causing all this. I'm running from God. And you remember what he said next? Throw me overboard. Right? Throw me overboard. He's playing the victim. I hope you see that. I mean, if that's really it, throw yourself overboard. But no, he wanted them to throw him overboard. And his whole life and the rest of it, he played the victim mentality. I knew you'd do this, God. I knew you would forgive these people. And he sits there pouting. Whining around. Listen, this is a serious issue that so many people play this victim mentality that the world's against me, my family's against me, my children's against me, my parents against me. Whatever it is, listen, it's never effective long term. It always will end up driving wedges between you and your loved ones when you play the victim mentality. God doesn't want us to play the victim mentality. I mean, he's made these things very clearly. You are more than conquerors. God has placed you and made you into something. I mean, uh, we, we have been given, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the what? Victory. Quit playing the victim mentality. Nobody loves me. Nobody likes me. No, everyone's against me. Listen, it might be it seems that way because with that attitude, why would people want to hang out with you? I mean, Seriously. I mean, the people that complain the most that I have no friends is because basically you're sitting around whining all the time that you have no friends. Smile. Get, out, get Talk to people. Sit down next to someone else. But quit playing the victim mentality because it never works. It will work in that brief moment a lot of times. You know, well, you know, don't worry about me. Anybody ever heard that? Don't worry about me. <laughs> oh, you know, hey, you know, I'll, I'll probably be dead in a week. <laughs> hey, don't worry about me. I mean, we play the victim mentality to get people to do what I, they want. Hey, don't worry. You know, it's not like I did so much for you, and now you don't want to do anything for me. Stop it. Stop. Quit trying to guilt people into doing things. 
just present truth. Period. This victim mentality, because it might get people to respond at first, but they'll end up despising. They'll end up despising you. So stop with the victim mentality. It's not going to work here either. I'll go on, because I can tell you we're loving this so much, right? But he played the victim. Everyone's against me. I mean, that's literally what he said. All these things are against me. No, Jacob, maybe you should step up and lead your family correctly. Maybe quit playing the victim and start being the father again. <coughs> Amen. Start, start stepping up and doing these things. But you have a visual, we have a victim, we'll keep going, right? And we have a venture in verse 37 to 38. A venture, a proposition here. Reuben, the firstborn, right? He speaks up. He says, all right, Dad, send us back. I will be, I, if I do not come back with Benjamin, you can kill my two sons. Now, number one, what grandfather is going to jump on that deal, right? I mean, I mean, <laughs> yeah, Jacob's like, oh, that, well, that clears everything, son. Yeah, all right. <laughs> You don't come back, I'll kill my two grandchildren. I mean, seriously, right? I mean, that's what he said. That's the proposition he's offering here. He said, slay my two sons if I don't come back. And Jacob says, no. No. I mean, it, obviously here, there's, there's still no trust, and he's not going to go down this path. But I want you to see this. And Reuben said unto his father, Slay my two sons if I bring him not to thee. Deliver him and, and deliver him to thy hand, and I will bring him to thee again. And he said, My son shall not go down with you. Benjamin's not going. His brother is dead. He is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way which ye go, then shall ye bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Again, I go back, and I know I keep repeating this, but it's, the Bible keeps repeating it, so it bears witness that it needs repeated. What? Improper grief. Improper grief will make your life miserable. It is right to grieve. When Rachel died, Jacob had, should grieve. But again, I, I'm rehearsing this because it's right here again. He can't function. He can't make decisions. He doesn't know what to do because grief has control of his life. And he's miserable. Right? I mean, he's miserable. He said, I'm just going to go down. You're going to bereave me in grief. When, he, when Rachel died, he put up a monument by the side of the highway. He would pass by it every day. He lived in this grief, and now Joseph had died. All we read, every time Jacob speaks, he talks about Joseph being dead. Every time there's a conversation, look what I lost. Look what I lost. He lived in fear that he was going to lose again. I can't lose Benjamin. I can't, Simeon's gone. Joseph is gone. 
And his improper avenue of grief is controlling his life. Now, should you grieve in loss? And by the way, I'm not just talking death. We grieve in all kinds of loss. You may lose your job. You may lose your finances. You may lose your health. I mean, I, you may lose your home. You may, whatever it may be. There's so many avenues of grief. And they're all legitimate. And there is a time to mourn over each of them. But in every event, you read your Bible. In every event, there is a time of grief. But there also it followed with a time that they ceased grieving. They stopped. God did not lose control when that loss happened in your life. God did not in heaven stand up and say, what has happened? This wasn't, I, I can't control this. God is still God. God will take every moment and take every opportunity. He will take every circumstance. And if we will trust him, he will use all things for his good. It's right to grieve, and that happens. But there must be a time, as Abraham did, who is the epitome of one who grieved and then successfully was able to go on and live for the Lord. The simple statement, there came a time. He sat down and he wept for Sarah. He grieved for Sarah. But then the Bible says that he said, I must get a place to put her out of my sight. That is not saying I'm forgetting. That's not saying I'll never think about it. But you got to go on because God still has a plan for your life. Live for the Lord. Quit letting the devil rob you of these years of service for the Lord. Go on and serve God and let him do something wonderful in your life. No matter what, and I'm not, again, not just talking about the death of a loved one. I'm talking about a home, a house, a job, a health, whatever it may be. We all suffer many different ways of grief. And we do have to grieve. But there must be a time we say, all right, you're still God. I still trust you. What will you have me to do? And go on and serve the Lord. He was being controlled by this grief. And it was taking all the joy away from his life. So you see Jacob's plight here. Then we start in chapter number 43. And you see Judah's pledge. In verses 1 to 15. Judah's pledge. Now Judah's going to speak up. In verses 1 through 8, you see the sanity of Judah's pledge. It makes sense. It says in verse number one, and the famine was sore in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought uh, brought out of Egypt. Their father said unto them, "Go again, buy us a little food." Judah speaks up now. Judah spake unto him, saying, "The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, You shall not see my face, except your brother be with you.'" Now, when Judah speaks up here. We see a couple things. In verse number one, I'll go through these first eight verses. Number one, in verse number one, you see the famine was great. The famine was sore in the land. Uh, food was gone. That's my second point. Famine is great. In verse number two, the food's gone. They ate up everything they bought from Joseph. Who they didn't know was Joseph yet, but you understand what I'm saying. The food was gone. Famine was great. Nothing else was going to be growing. All the food they had was gone in verse number 2. And then in verses 3 through 8, 
Judah speaks up and says, the family needs to go. We need to get down there. In verses 3 through 5, they rehearse what Joseph has said to them. Judah speaks up and says, The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, You shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. If thou send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, we will not go down. For the man said unto us, You shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. So they rehearse what Joseph had said to them. But then you see in verse number 6, the remorse that Jacob shares. And Israel said, Wherefore dealt ye so ill with me as to tell the man whether he had yet a brother? There's a victim again. Why did you even tell him you had a brother? Why did you treat me so bad in telling them that? And so you see he rehearsed what Joseph has said, the remorse that Jacob shares. But then you see Judah's response. Verse number 7. They said, The man asked us straightly of our state and our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have you yet another brother? Dad, he asked us pointedly. We had to answer him. Verse number 8. And Judah said unto Israel, his father, Send the lad with me, Benjamin. We will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and thou and also our little ones. His response was, Dad, we have to go. Not even in debate. Send him with me. See, the sanity of Judah. Make, Dad, we don't have an option here, right? We're going to die. The sanity of Judah's pledge. And then you, I want you to see in verse 9 and 10 the sincerity of Judah's pledge. He says in verse number 9, I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee, and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. For except we had lingered, surely now we had returned the second time. Dad, it's already past time. We should have left a while back. But then he says, notice what he does there in verse number 9. He says, I will be surety for him. What did Reuben offer up for surety? His sons. I don't even get that. I mean, they should have already picked up on the fact that things were out of their control. Anything could happen. They didn't expect to come back without Simeon last time, right? But Reuben's pretty flippant about offering his own sons. Be careful, Mom and Dad. Sometimes we can be pretty flippant with the life of our children. And I'm not talking a physical life. I mean the spiritual life. You ought to guard that and protect that with everything you've got. But it's interesting to me Who's the one speaking here that says, my life for his? Judah, Judah right? I'm going to remind you here real quick. Last time we read about Judah, he left the family. He married an unsaved lady. His life was a mess. Remember the story? It's a messed up story. When we leave that, we see Judah kind of in a mess, to say it lightly. Now he obviously had returned back home. And obviously he's a changed man. Because what he does here, he doesn't put no one else's line, and he had children to do that with, but he didn't. He said, me. 
dead me. Notice less self-centeredness and more self-sacrifice. And Judah here, and I just want to stop and praise the Lord, he had come back home. The family had obviously had accepted him. And here he is doing something noble. Praise God for second chances. Praise God for a God of mercy. A God of grace. Were there scars from Judah's mistakes? Yes. Yes, there were. And any time we choose sin over the way of God... If we continue in that sin, there will always be scars from that sin. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. To me, this brief few verses is just a picture and a reminder that there is hope. And praise God, Judah's here, back with the family, restored with the family, because he left. Go back and read the chapter where we preached on it. When the going got rough, he said, I'm out of here. He married someone he shouldn't have married. A, a someone, someones, right? Were involved in wickedness, idolatry. He went for the money. Remember the story? I mean, he just dove headfirst into all that is the world. But praise the Lord for mercy. You see, the sincerity of Judah's pledge, the sanity of Judah's pledge, and then the success of Judah's pledge. Verses 11 to 15. Verse number 11, I have a given. And the father of Israel said unto them, It must be, so now do this. Take of the best fruits, and he offers these gifts that we already read. You see, it's a given. If it so be, so now do this. It had to be done. They had to go. Benjamin would have to go or else they were going to die. So you see a given and then you see a gift. The end of verse number 11, Jacob gives them all kinds of gifts, honey and nuts and myrrh and spices and balm. Take money to buy more and take the money that was overlooked and they sent it back. Take it both back with you. A given, you see a gift and then you see grieving Verse 13 and 14, Take also your brother and arise, go again into the man. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Just go. I'm going to die a miserable man and let me die a miserable man. By the way, that's not how God wants any of us to live. In verse number 15, you see that they would go. And the men took that present and took the double money in their hand. And Benjamin rose and rose up and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. We see here Jacob's plight. And we see Judah's pledge. And then the rest of this chapter, you see Joseph's plan. And I don't know how far we'll get. But Joseph's plan. Joseph's going to do eight things. To test his brother, his brothers. What's he looking for? Repentance. 
Are the boys changed? Are my brothers changed? He does eight things. I'm just going to throw them at you real quick, and then we'll be done. Verses 16 and 17, he gives them an, there's an undeserved feast. When they get there, in verse 16, and when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the ruler of his house, Bring these men home and, and slay and make ready, for these men shall dine with me at noon. And the man did as Joseph bade, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. An undeserved feast. They brought him in to feast with Joseph in his house. Joseph gave him the invitation. Said, take them to my house at noon. I will eat with them. I just want you to consider something. You could preach a sermon out of this passage, right? Brother Jeff, Brother Joshua, Brother Matthew. In this passage of scripture, you see Joseph's invitation. He paid the cost. It was all on Joseph's bill. There was a call. There was a cost. And there was a commission. Bring them into my house. At noon, I will feast with them. Now that, if you're one of the boys, what's going on? So I'll just give you a little history lesson. The Egyptians didn't even sit at the same table with the Hebrew. These shepherds. And now he's being invited to the house. It would have been a very interesting moment for them. You see an undeserved feast. Number two, you see an unconcealed fear. Verse number 18 says, And when the men were what? Afraid. Because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, Because of the money that was returned in our sacks at the first time we are brought in, that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for bondmen and our asses. He said, Listen, we know what's going on. They think we stole the money. He's bringing us to his house. They're going to arrest us. They're going to make us servants. They're going to take all, all of our, our possessions. Uh, they're going to take all the donkeys. They're going to take everything we have. And we're going to be servants. An unconcealed fear. They thought basically this guy's having us over to his house because it's a trap. Let me tell you something real quick also. Again, I believe Joseph's a picture of the Lord. The Lord's paid it all. The Lord has given us the invitation to come. And the commission part was he told his servant to go and to take him to his house. We, praise the Lord, there's a call for all sinners. Jesus paid it all, and it's our job to go out and to bring them in. But so many people don't come to the Lord because they think it's a trap. What did they think that Joseph was going to make them become? Servants and slaves. Why don't a lot of people come to the Lord? Because they think, church just wants to control you. Just interesting. Number three, an unexplained find. In verses 19 down to verse number 24, you see their reasoning in verse 19 to 22. And they came near to the steward of Joseph's house, and they communed with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir, we came indeed down at the first time to buy food. And it came to pass when we came in the end that we opened our sacks, and behold, every man's money was in the mouth of the sack, our money in full weight, and we, had, uh, and we have brought it again in our hand. Uh, 
And other money have we brought down in our hands to buy food? We cannot tell who put our money in our sacks. They, they start reasoning with them. Please, please listen to us. Don't arrest us. We, we are innocent. Uh, we didn't realize the money was there. We brought it back. We want to pay it back. You see their reasoning. But then in verse number 23, you see a reassuring. Love this. And he said, the steward of the house, Joseph's steward, which was an Egyptian, which was raised to be polytheistic, which was raised to worship the God of the Nile and the God of the alligator and the God of the sun and, and Pharaoh himself. But look what Joseph Stewart said. Peace be to you. Fear not. Your God and the God of your father hath given you treasure in your sex. That's awesome. Someone's had a change of heart. Amen. Praise the Lord. God changes people. He's talking freely about the same God that we serve. Amen? But there's a reassuring here. And then I, I want you to see a reuniting. He said, I had your money. And he brought Simeon out unto them. Oh, that had to be a joyous time. When Simeon was brought out and they're reunited as a family. Oh, it had to be. I, I can only imagine the conversations. What happened, Simeon? What's, and I have no idea. We're not privy to any of that information. Don't need to know it. But I'm sure they had a lot of conversation going on. You see a reasoning, a reassuring, a reuniting, and then verse number 24, a refreshing. And the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water. And they washed their feet. And he gave their asses lavender. What happened? They took care of them. Can you imagine the confusion in these boys' minds and faces? What is going on? A bunch of shepherds are in the second in command of the most mighty empire in the world. And the servant has been talking about their God and God's provision. And now that servant is washing their feet taking care of their animals, and serving refreshments. Y'all need to think about what you read sometimes. It's amazing. I mean, that's just un unbelievably amazing. You see uh, this unexplained fine, and then in verses 25 to 28, an understandable formality. An understandable formality. In verse number 25, it says, And they made ready the present against Joseph, uh, came at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. Uh, in verse 26, and when Joseph came home and brought him into the pre and, and they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed themselves to him in the earth. So there's the esteeming by the brothers. When Joseph walks in at noon, just when he's supposed to be there, they all bow down. We brought you a gift, sir. They're all bowing down. They're all bowing down. Right? They're all bowing down. You think Joseph was thinking? Oh, yeah. They didn't realize what was going on. As you see the esteem showed by the brothers and then the inquiring of Joseph in verse 27 and 28. It says, And he asked them of their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spake? Is he yet alive? And they answered, Thy servant our father is in good health. He is yet alive. And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. 
the inquiring of Joseph. Joseph could have walked in and said, hey, it's me. Right? But he didn't. A really side important lesson here to keep in mind. Just as God, Joseph didn't get in a hurry. Things would need to be done, but done correctly. A lot of times we get in a hurry on some things when God is just working. I read this morning in my devotions in Isaiah, his thoughts are not my thoughts. Sometimes we get in a hurry to fix things or get in a hurry to do things. And, and I'm not talking about cleaning our car and stuff like that. I mean this, working in the ministry, serving the Lord. I'm not talking about being lazy, not at all. I just mean this, let God work. I've had a visitor that's been here the last few weeks and out of town this week and last, but we're praying that the Lord works on that heart. Probably could get that person to repeat a prayer, but we want them to see something from the Lord and it be the Word of God and a heart that is repentant and wanting what the Lord wants them to have. That's what Joseph's doing. He's working and seeing. Number five, you see an unrevealed feeling. Verses 29 to 31, we're almost done. He lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spake unto me? And he said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. And Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother, and he sought where to weep, and he entered into his chamber and wept there. See, an unrevealed feeling. There was a look in verse 29. He saw Benjamin. There was a longing in verse number 30. He just wanted to hug Benjamin. And in verse 31, a love. He washed his face and went out and refrained himself and said, set on bread. He showed them love. The Lord, again, I said it this morning, so I'm not going to go along at all in this. Joseph saw. He was moved with compassion. All he wanted to do was to embrace and hug and share. Jesus looked upon Israel. He looked upon Jerusalem. He wept, the Bible says, because all he wants. But there must be repentance. I believe Jesus looks upon Goshen and his heart yearns for men to be saved, for families to be helped. But they must make that choice. Joseph wept here, and you see, I just think it's a heart picture of the heart of God. The time was not quite there yet, so number six, you see an uncanny familiarity. Isn't this interesting in verse 32 and 33? They are set down, and they set uh, on him, uh, on for him by himself, and for them by themselves. In other words, they had to sit separately. And for the Egyptians, which should eat with them by themselves, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph couldn't sit at the table with them. But he has the table set before him, at a different table. And they sat before him, the firstborn, according to his birthright, and the youngest, according to his youth. And the men marveled one on another. An uncanny familiarity. What did he do? He set them in order. 
If they hadn't scratched their head yet, they did now. I mean, they're looking and they start looking around and the steward had each of them set where Joseph had told them. And by the time they all sat down, it all dawned on them, right? Whoa. And this something had to go in the back of their mind, something like this. This man knows more about us than we thought. Before there can ever be repentance, there must be a recognition that God knows already. But He still loves us. And they recognize as they're sitting in there that there isn't as much hidden as they thought there was. Verse 34, you see an unusual favor. And they took and sent uh, sent messes unto them from before him. But Benjamin's mess was five times as much as any of theirs. Joseph on purpose now takes the food out. A whole mess of food. We always talk about that. I do when I go fishing. Did you catch any fish? I caught a mess of fish, right? You know, I don't know what that means, but I caught a bunch of them, right? Yeah, right? Well, there was a whole mess of food given all of them. But Benjamin's mess was five times the amount of the rest of them. What's Joseph doing? Let's see. Let's see. I'm going to take care of all of you, but let's see here how you react to the younger brother being shown favor. Right? And what happens when he gets all that? The Bible doesn't say they whispered to one another and was bitter and angry and said, what's, this, what's so special about this guy? No. Instead, this time, the Bible says they marveled at one another. Whoa. They were amazed. They were not bitter this time. They didn't seem to be envious this time. So you have, lastly, and we're done, an unrestrained fellowship. And they drank and were merry with him. They sat down and they had a feast together. They had a wonderful time. Joseph sees that they're not envious. Joseph sees that they're not bitter. All these tests are being passed this time. And there's great fellowship. I think of the New Testament. God will tell us, I'm thankful for the word of God that showed me that I was a sinner, showed me I was lost. And the truth of God's word brought conviction in my life, but the goodness of the Lord brings men to repentance. And they all sit there and they think, wow, this is amazing. Now Joseph didn't take off his headdress or run to him and speak in Hebrew. There's one more thing Joseph wants to make sure to see if they're truly repentant and changed people. One more thing. We'll have to wait for that one, all right? Let's pray.